0: A young Bible student was informed that he had to deliver his first sermon in the chapel. He lived in mortal fear of having to preach to his peers in the chapel service. He tried every way that he could to get out of it. He asked his professor, let me do extra work, anything, but please... Please don't ask me to preach the sermon in the chapel. I I just can't do that. The professor said, you must. It's required to graduate. Tomorrow will be your time to preach in the chapel. Well, the next morning came and the young preacher was filled with fear as he stood before the folks there in the chapel. He asked his brothers, he said, brothers, do you know what I'm going to say? They all shook their head. No, he said, Neither do I. Let's all stand for the benediction. <laughs> well, the professor just couldn't believe what this young man had done, and he, he informed him, says, You're going to have to do it. You have to do it tomorrow. So, second day arrived, and they're all back in the chapel. The chapel was filled. And as a young preacher began, he began as he did the first day, Brothers, do you know what I'm going to say? And the students, knowing his fear, all nodded their head, Yes. And with a sigh of relief, the young preacher simply commented, Since you already know what I'm going to say, there's no point in saying it. Let's stand for the benediction. Well, the professor was really upset this time. He told the young preacher, I'll give you one more chance. You've got to preach a sermon tomorrow. If you don't, you will not pass. Third day came. Chapel's packed. And he began as he did the first two days. Brothers, do you know what I'm going to say? Some nodded yes. Some shook their heads no. And with a smile on his face, he says, let those who know, Tell those who don't, let's all stand for the benediction. (laughs) Let those who know, tell those who don't. That's basically what it's all about, isn't it? So we're going to read from the book of 1 Thessalonians. That will be our text, chapter 1. Going to read from the beginning, but we will... Focus on verses 5 to 8. And when I go to any other scripture, that will come up on the screen so I can keep you at the text that we're going to go through verse by verse. So Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. There's a Paul's love there for the people. There's a special bond, isn't there, between the, the man who is truly called of God as a pastor and the people of God. And God has put these in your care and there's that love there. And this vice versa. Him praying for them, them praying for him, as it is. So verse 3, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia, Achaia, all who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. And Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you bless it to each one of us. Anoint, Lord, the speaker. Anoint our ears that we may hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I'm sure you all know that here in Thessalonians, we have sort of a tremendous success story. And through circumstances beyond his control, Paul the Apostle, it seemed like he was only able to stay there in Thessalonica for four weeks. As usual, he got into trouble for preaching the gospel. And he was chased out of town. And a little later, being concerned for the new converts, he sent Timothy to them, and they came back to Paul with a good report. He came back to Paul with a good report. Not only were they standing, but they had a great testimony. A little later, I'd like to speak about the words sounded forth, that is, the word being proclaimed from this young church, but first I want to consider, beginning at verse 5, what I believe to be the key, or the keys, as why Paul was so effective in such a short time. It's a short time with him in Thessalonica, how effective he was. He preached there for four weeks, had to leave, yet there was this tremendous effect that he had upon them and upon the lives of the people there. How was that? How was that possible? Well, I do believe the answer is found in verse 5. It's right there. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance. As you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And I believe that there is an explanation here for the phenomenal success that Paul found in that verse 5 there. He, He came with the Word of God. He came in the power of the Holy Spirit and in much assurance and with an exemplary life. You see, that verse gives you an outline there, doesn't it? Wonderful. With the Word of God. It goes without saying, that really key to successful spreading the gospel and establishing this young church and establishing any church is the Word of God. You've heard that from a few of these guys. And this is the exposition of God's Word that's been the mainstay of our movement from the beginning. May it long continue to be so. As many of us were a part of this pretty much from the beginning... We're old. I was going to say getting old, but I can't say getting old anymore. We are old. But we're thankful for younger men holding forth the word of God. Some of you have seen, you've seen some of them speaking even at this conference. It's a blessing. And there are many more that are not here throughout the world proclaiming the word of God, teaching through the scriptures. I'm confident that this movement, should the Lord tarry, will not die with the first generation. Not at all. The Word of God is alive among us. It says in the book of Hebrews, for the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and marrow. It is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. My... uh, first pastor, the fellow that led us to the Lord, myself and Owen and our wives. His name was George Yeomans. He had a friend. He told us about his friend that he would go down to the market square in a town called Mansfield in Nottinghamshire, England. He'd go down to the town square and he would lay his Bible on the floor and he'd put his hat on top of it. And he'd dance around it Shouting, it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. And people would come around and go, what's alive? What's that? Pick his hat up, put his hat on, pick his Bible up and preach. (laughs) It's alive. Not merely a book, is it? Not like any other book to just pick up and read. Our Lord Jesus Christ said that these words were spirit and life. The word is alive because the Holy Spirit makes it alive. The Bible is living and brings life to millions. Charles Spurgeon says, said, if when I get to heaven, God says, I, I want you to preach for all eternity, I would simply say, give me a Bible, Lord. That's all I need. God's Word. It can bring purpose and meaning to a person who'd lost their desire to live. It can, and it does, and it has inspired and we've heard some of them, even at this conference, young men and young women, to take a venture in faith and go around the world as they have that desire to share the Word of God with others. And God's Word can take the lost, one lost in sin, and turn them around and brings life. And we rejoice that we have God's Word even for us to feed us. To help us grow living and working and bringing change in our life and you know it's living because you continue to read it and you'll find something and you say when did you put that in there <laughs> it's alive isn't it thankfully God's words brings conviction in our own lives that we might be washed and cleansed and regenerated by the word so on a continual basis brothers be faithful with the word of God be faithful the text that God gives you be faithful to expound it using exegesis bringing out that that's in and not eisegesis adding to that that's not there bring out that that you see there and the spirit quickens to you but I want you to know that Paul said that he, he he didn't come in word only you see this is I think where so many go wrong thinking the Bible in of itself, and this might sound like heresy at the Calvary Chapel Conference, is not enough. Ooh, deadly silent. You can hear a pin drop. It's not enough without the power of God's Holy Spirit. And Paul said he came in power and in the Holy Spirit. And I take that to mean he came in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Bobby reminded us of the, the promise and the importance of the Holy Spirit. And Scripture says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. They were told to wait. They'd be given the Great Commission. To go into all the world make disciples. But before that, they were told to wait. Wait in Jerusalem. Now, you know, these were men who'd been with the finest teacher ever to walk on this earth for three years. They'd heard his teaching. They had his word. But they were told to wait. And then, of course... As you know, what was achieved in the world was achieved by the power of the Holy Spirit in folks like you and me. There's no other way. And what was achieved, I believe, in the Thessalonica there with the Thessalonians was by the power of the Holy Spirit. The promise that Jesus gave, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria and the most ends of the earth. Dunamis power. Dunamis, of course, from which we get our word dynamite. But I don't like that word when I speak of this because God doesn't want to blow us up. I prefer the word dynamo, the driving force, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That is a subsequent work, a subsequent experience to that of conversion. Subsequent work of the Holy Spirit to that of conversion. You get saved and the Holy Spirit comes to live within you and regenerate you. But you need power from on high. So important. And that power is available to you and available to me the moment we're saved. And our Lord Jesus Christ told the disciples, I want you to wait in Jerusalem till you're endued with power from on high. And they did. And we read about it on the day of Pentecost, don't we? In Acts chapter 2. We see the the spirit poured out. He says, go wait now. Do we have to wait? Well, if you want to be absolutely biblical, you've got to go wait in Jerusalem. (laughs) So, no, you don't have to go to Jerusalem. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to wait. You can receive the power of the Holy Spirit by faith. Now receive what God wants to give to you. I remember in the early days, you know, Alan and I were baptized in the Holy Spirit, but we traveled around a lot singing at different places, and, and some people, some places we went to, they didn't believe in the, what they called the second blessing. They said, Did you, do you ha- have you had the second blessing? And I said, yes, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth. Do you believe in the second blessing? Yes, third, fourth, and fifth, whatever God wants to do in my life. I know all you Bible teachers you stress the importance of the Word of God. But I trust you also stress the importance of power from on high. That it's something that you regularly share with your people, with your congregation, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And if any of you are visiting us from other churches, other denominations here, and you've not heard of this, we'd love to tell you all about it and pray with you. So you have the Word of God, you have the power of the Holy Spirit, and then it says... In that verse five, with much assurance, with much assurance. You see, to powerfully proclaim the word of God, we have to be confident. The book of Acts ends with, and then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerning the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, with all confidence no one forbidden him. Of course, that's not self-confidence, is it? Not self-confidence. because Paul wrote to the Philippians, we are of the circumcision who worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. No. Rather, our confidence is in the Lord and what he has done in our lives. That is what we call assurance. We are assured of who we are in Christ. Assured of what God has made us, and who God has made us, and what God can do through us, we have to be confident in Him. The believer's position, knowing who you are. And what Troy was sharing about Nehemiah: Shall such a man as I flee? Such a man who? Such a man is the man in Christ. You're not going to run. You're confident in the Lord. The believer's position is most important. The greatest thing to realizes who we are in Christ our identity in Christ who God has made us we're children of God we belong to him and you are servants of the Lord that's wonderful and the man I believe is twice the man when he's encouraged when he's encouraged in the Lord I want to help encourage you today be strong in the Lord and the power of his might They came with the word of God then. They came in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he came in the confidence of the Lord. And then you have there, verse 5, the example of an exemplary life. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. What kind of men we were among you for your sake. Not only did they come proclaiming the word and in the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit in doing mighty works, they were also, uh, they demonstrated the power of the Spirit in the way they lived. In the way they lived. But brethren, you remember, chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians verse 9 says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly, unjustly, and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Now, Don mentioned the importance of character as to talent or ability. I think I heard Don say once, or had heard somebody, one of the fellows say, that talent or ability will get you in the room. Character will keep you there. You see, we should say that as well as possessing this dunamis that we've spoken of, we should see also in our lives the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. What kind of men they were among them, not just preaching, but living what they preached. It's sad to say how detrimental it is to the proclamation of the word when a person's life is inconsistent with that that's being preached. What a powerful thing it can be when a preacher's life matches his own words. Paul right into the Philippians, he speaks of a couple of fellows in that book that he he says to them, "I want you to hold these men in esteem." Talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus, and they're, they're, he talks about them as if they're sort of a rare breed. Yeah, they're men that learn to labor with others and be concerned for others, and it was the character of the men that he says was to be esteemed. He, was t- he talked about their character. And I think this is something that we have to take very, very seriously in our movement, because I think in times past, we've made mistakes. been enamored by a person's gift and a person's ability and a person's oratory or whatever, I find it interesting that in the long list of requirements that Paul lays out to Timothy and to Titus in regard to uh, appointing a person as an elder or a deacon, that all the things that are to be considered when you consider somebody to be an elder or a deacon, there's only one thing that talks about ability, apt to teach. All the rest have to do with character. And so the character of these men... speaks of in Philippians of of these two fellows that to be greatly esteemed nothing is said of their ability to preach a great sermon nothing is said of their their, how big their church was or how many services that they uh, have and folks in attendance there no it's the character of these men that causes the great apostle to call them his fellow workers he actually says of Timothy I have nobody like him Everybody else seeks their own. Whoa. And so, we have to challenge ourselves, brothers. What is it that we admire in the brothers that we hold in high esteem? Well, let it not be their great oratory. Or their wonderful communication skills. Give thanks to God for them. Or their administrative ability. What do we look Two, what do we look at in those that we would want to aspire to leadership? What are we looking for? What they're able to do? What their abilities are? What are you looking for on your board? Somebody who, uh, you know, knows business real well and finances? Well, praise the Lord if he's a godly man. We should look at who they are in Christ. Who they are in Christ. You know, we oo and are at the ability and talent that we see on display, but how do we esteem proven character? These fellows, he said, they were dependable, they were sincere, they were caring, they were selfless, sold out to Christ, not promoting themselves, of proven character, not of proven charisma. You see, God can lay his gifts on anybody. He even spoke through a donkey once. So... Men who give their lives for Christ. The word of God, you see, should be seen in us, not just in the proclamation of God's word as I preach it, or not just in the explanation of God's word as I teach it, but the incarnation of God's word as I live it. Amen. Well, we have such a reasons here then for the powerful work that was done because it was done not in word only but in power of the Holy Spirit in much assurance and, in a, and a, through a godly example an exemplary life so I want to consider now which gives a little bit here and consider what the result was or the fruit it bore and how it was reproduced in them so look at verse 6 and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, and so that you became examples in all Macedonia and Achaia to all who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. So now, from them, it says the word was sounded forth. Sounded forth. That is, they took what they'd received and they spread it abroad. That is the pattern, isn't it? That's the pattern of New Testament evangelism. It's not just the responsibility of the Pauls and the Timothys and the Barnabas of the world to evangelize, but it's the the churches whom God has planted through these fellows that, and they, they've pastored to sound forth the gospel. Paul did not say, and from your pastor or from that evangelist in your church, the word is sounding forth. He said, from you. Now, Paul uses uh, a little used word to describe what was taking place through them. In fact, Upon reading in this section, and I learned from studying actually through McLaren there, that the word sounded forth is only used once in the whole of the New Testament. That this word is only used once. Now, your Bible scholars check it out and correct me if I'm wrong. But it's, uh, I'm not a Greek scholar, I tried to pronounce it exekeo. Exekeo. A word which would be naturally used in that language the Greek language there will be naturally used to describe the sound of a trumpet and again it's only used here nowhere else in the whole of the New Testament what a fascinating metaphor God's trumpet loud and clear melodious whereby God makes his voice heard in a world an evil world that's filled with all kinds of wicked noises All around us. God's message heralded through human lips, penetrating through all the noise that's going on in the world to reach deaf ears. Now, Scripture teaches us, of course, that we all have a purpose in life. A reason. There's a reason. There's a plan. There's a purpose of God as to why we are here. And a great part of that purpose is to stand strong in God's Word And proclaim, sound it forth, the word of God, to blow God's trumpet, as it were. Sort of like the church being God's trumpet, or you. And of course, it's not just, as we've already mentioned, not just sounded forth in in word only. The word that's proclaimed it is, and perhaps more so to be expressed in the life that's lived. As Paul said to this young church, they became examples Receiving the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. It was being lived out in them as well as being proclaimed by them. The gospel incarnate in them. Let's look at this trumpet. It sounded forth. A trumpet sound is clear and penetrating. The gospel is to go out as a trumpet is sounded forth. There are many instruments that I suppose could be used as a metaphor, but I wonder if there's any as clear and penetrating as a trumpet. It's an instrument that insists on being heard. <laughs> you can hear a trumpet. Maybe no coincidence that God's going to use one to call his all home. You can hear a trumpet. After all, it was used on the battlefield, wasn't it, to call troops to arms. And so our message should be clear and penetrating and now of course we need to do all that we can to know our instrument and I had a childhood friend went to school together his name was David Thompson along with his father and his sister they played the cornet which is a trumpet like instrument with just minor differences it sounds pretty much the same David and his family, they were very good. They played clear, melodious sounds. That's how our witness should be, both in speech and in life. Well, I asked David if I could ever go. <laughs> Can you imagine the awful excuse for a musical note that came out? You know, I mean, he said, Well, what note's that? I'm not sure it's even a note at all. But sadly, Believers, a trumpet sound more like my attempt to play my friend David's cornet. Lives that do not sound forth a clear, melodious message, but rather a sound that indicates they do not know how to play their instrument or live the life. A trumpet is clear, unmistakable, and penetrating, which ought to be the way our witness goes out. A life that is... Clearly expressing Christian virtues, the love of God, and the one who knows his message and knows his Lord. Obviously, Paul the Apostle knew how to blow the trumpet, God's trumpet. And then these Thessalonians, a small group of young believers, yet the gospel sounded forth from them, clear and penetrating. Not only in Macedonia, said, but in every place. Now if you look at the context, particularly verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love and patience and of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and Father, their witness was as much with deeds, if not more so, than with words. New Living Translation of verse 8 says, And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to all the people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia, for wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. So as well as their preaching and their, their faith and consistent living was what made the impression, again, this is a theme that keeps coming back, we should all speak of him. But sometimes maybe we may speak of him without speaking. Now, I'm not saying that there should be necessarily less talk or less preaching, but there certainly ought to be more godly living. We do not know how far, how far reaching our gospel may penetrate how a Christian witness may penetrate we don't know remember how Paul ends Philippians all the saints greet you but especially those in Caesar's household Caesar's household what but surprisingly the gospel penetrated into even the most unexpected places In the most unlikely of circumstances, remember the words of the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Never in a million years would I have imagined that almost 20 years ago now, on February the 7th, 2003, as the dark clouds enveloped us, that I would have stood on a platform there and the space shuttle landing strip, the runway, with the governors of Florida, leading NASA officials, uh, there at the space shuttle Columbia's memorial service. And then I would read from the book of Psalms and from the book of Revelation and pray as I gave the benediction at that service. Who am I? I'm just a lad from sunny Nashville, Nottingham, with a, Nottinghamshire, with a, High school education, Sutton in Ashfield. You don't know where that is, do you? No, that's my point. (laughs) But I was humbled and honored to stand on God's word and blow God's trumpet that day in a nationally televised memorial service. If the sound is clear, who knows where it will penetrate? Paul writing to Timothy said, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. He may put us in prison or put us in lockdown or whatever they want to do, but the word of God is not bound. And though he was in bonds, Paul could say the word of God is not bound. And though there may be many chains, the word of God is not bound. And who knows what effect your witness, your preaching, your teaching will have long, long ago after, the, after you've gone it, should the Lord not rapture. And I hope and I believe you should be doing it pretty soon. We are, me and Alwin were just talking about this the other day. We've, I've known Alwin for 60 years. We used to be in a rock and roll band together before we were Christians. And uh, we were talking about how marvelously our our lives and what God has done. is absolutely amazing. Who knows what lives we've touched? What lives you touch? Who knows what eternal value your faithful service will accomplish as you serve Him and His people? Who knows what effect the work that you do will have? Now, as well as individuals, a church as a whole should stand strong in God's word and blow God's trumpet loud and clear as it were. That our community should know what we stand for. That we stand on God's word. That we should not compromise the word of God in any way. Even if it brings persecution upon us. And anyone who visits our churches should know surely sense the Lord among us, the love of God, the love for one another. You know, on my way to church, I'm blessed to only live uh, six or seven minutes from our church building. But I drive by what used to be a church of sorts. I don't know what they were, and they've since disappeared. Well, they used to have the most bizarre titles on their, you know, board that they had outside of the sermons that was going to be preached. That I had, really had, I had no idea what they meant or what they stood for. And, and some are so wishy-washy, got no idea what note they are playing. I drove by one morning and it said, don't yuck my Yum. don't yuck my yum. I mean, if I think hard enough about it, I probably can figure out what they're trying to say, but it it sounds more like me trying to get a note out of my friend David's trumpet, a cornet. You see, the church has to have a clear message to proclaim. Then there are others, of course, on our island. I live on Merritt Island. They're in the free state of Florida. And... (laughs) There are other <laughs> There are other churches there that do come across loud and clear. Thank God for them. Doing a great job. And if you visit a church's webpage, you should quickly be able to discern if they're sounding forth clearly and penetratingly the Word of God. You can see it right away. You can see it right away if they're not. So a trumpet sound is clear and penetrating, but also it is melodious. It should be. If it's being played right, the notes that we play should be musical. Now let me read some scripture from 2 Timothy. Flee also youthful lusts. Pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so they may know the truth. He says, you all know what discord is. I'm sure. You know when a, a note is sung is sang off pitch, the wrong notes, or an attempted harmony." Uh, one of them's flat, one of them's sharp or whatever, and you're going, oh, man. Or a guitar out of tune. That's a struggle for me. I have to confess my carnality here. If I'm in a worship service and the guitar's horribly out of tune, I'm going, oh, please, I tune your guitar up. <laughs> Proverbs says a worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes, he shuffles with his feet, he points with his fingers, perversity is in his heart, he devices evil continually, he sows discord. I, I know all you senior pastors have had this experience, I would think. I don't know if anybody goes through their ministry life without having discord somewhere or other along the line. Harshness, arguing, bickering, cruel words spoken causes discord. That's not music. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. That's not musical. And who wants to listen to discord. You turn it off. Please tune your instrument. You know. I, 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 my wife and I. Watched the show The Voice. I, I don't know if any of you. Done that. I've seen quite actually some. Worship leaders on that program. And do pretty well. And uh, you know when they. They know when they're going to be voted off. It's a, sort of a competition thing. They, they know that this is probably their last week. So they do their. Christian song and and it's usually a blessing but we don't watch it live we record it because there's some of them you know I don't know if you've ever seen the show but the judges have their seats that their back is to the person coming on to sing they never see the person until they and they hit the button to turn around if they want to be that person's coach and take them on to the next round well some of them are awful and, and so my, my wife and I look at her and I say, fast forward. She says, yeah, fast forward. <laughs> fast forward. To the next one. Fast forward, fast forward. <laughs> I don't want anybody to fast forward through my life because it's out of tune. Music goes a lot further than discord. A life that's harmonious. Gracious and gentle, makes beautiful music. So we are to sound forth that which is clear, penetrating, and melodious. But a trumpet is also, it, it, it's also stirring. I've had the blessing, uh, we, we have some of the Calvary pastors, Joe's included, on a, a radio in, in Kenya. And, and it's been tremendously blessed. And I've had the privilege of going there and actually hearing a trumpet, an, an elephant's trumpet. And when they're sounded, it is highly stimulating. (laughs) Situations, they do it where they may be fearful, surprised, aggressive, playful, or socially excited. It's certainly stirring when you hear it. I was at an informal concert setting once, where a lady was playing a harp. I looked around, and several people were asleep. Now, granted, they were mostly gray hairs. I have to admit, I was nodding off. You see... You don't play a trumpet to put people to sleep. And you don't use a harp to call people to arms. The trumpet is intended to stir, to revive, and it's mostly set, of course, to lively music. We are not the frozen chosen. Our witness should be expressed in our life Is not to be like a dour, dire funeral march played in a minor key we to sing to him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. We don't want to be miserable people when we blow God's trumpet. We want to blow it in such a way that it inspires. Now well, one last thought. The breath of God. I'm sure you've all heard the saying, he loves to blow his own trumpet. Let's be clear on this. It's the breath of God that blows the trumpet. The Holy Spirit of God. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You remember the old hymn, breathe on me breath of God. Fill me with life anew that I may love the way you love and do what you would do. Breathe on me breath of God until my heart is pure. Until my will is one with yours to do and to endure. And so we're to live in fellowship with the Lord so we might let the breath of God transform that discord into our lives into sweet melody of praise that the trumpet may sound loud and clear as He becomes the breath of our spiritual lives. It's your breath. And from us, the Word of God is sounded forth throughout the world. Let me encourage you, brothers and I say sisters because I know there's some staff. God bless you, sisters, for serving us and brothers. We appreciate that greatly. But, brothers, stand strong in the Word of God. Continue to sound forth the Gospel. I believe sincerely, by being a part of Calvary Chapel for many, many years, I believe that God has raised up an army of expositors in these last days. I believe that's you. I believe that's you. I want to close with uh, one last story. I want to tell you about an experience some years ago now that renewed my passion for God's Word. It's the story of a a wonderful sister who was a part of our fellowship for, for many years. She's with the Lord now was our bookkeeper she dealt with the finances of the church, Is kind of a position that not only requires diligence and accuracy but also integrity confidentiality I suppose I was our boss but I never really thought of myself in that way was more, we were more friends and brother and sister and she was an example for, for all to follow and she never once let me down faithful integrity, loyalty, honesty, dependable, diligent servant who served in humility. Our well, problem was, of course, her office became so popular that I had to make rules to keep people out of her office. She's not going to get any work done. Well, it didn't work. People used to like to be around her so much because she was so much like Jesus. Well, she got really, really sick, and she was sick with cancer, and whenever Carol, my wife, and I visited her, we were always... Had a wonderful blessed times. And we always thought that when her time came, we would be there uh, as we have been with others who have gone to be with the Lord, that we'd be at a bedside. But it was not to be so. I was out of town. I got the news that she was fading fast, and it was impossible for me to get back from where I was to her bedside in time. Our midweek service Bible study got out and many of them, almost all of them, went over to their house and their street there. And, uh, I, my, my son told me that it was like heaven on earth. As they were singing and, and reading the scripture. And at the moment she passed, it was like heaven came down into the room and lifted her into the presence of the Lord. But I wasn't there. I wasn't there. And what guilt, what despair, thinking I'd let her down. I was her pastor, I was her friend, and I wasn't there. Well, I I did the memorial service and it went well. It was a wonderful time, but I I sort of still carried that guilt and it, it sort of haunted me. Wasn't there. Let her down. And then one Sunday, as I was teaching, I don't know if this happens to you, but often when I'm actually in the pulpit, God speaks to my heart. Probably in, in, clearer than any other time in my life. When I'm sharing the word of God, he speaks to me. <laughs> Sometimes convicting me of what I'm saying myself. <laughs> but I was still feeling the guilt. And I couldn't Rid myself of it. And one particular moment, as I was sharing God's word in front of my own flock there, I, I heard the Lord speak to my heart, you were there. You were there? Yes. He said, all that Pam held on to, all that sustained her, you taught her. You taught her my word. You were there. I said, thank you, Lord. Uh, I'm free. No more guilt. I'm free. No more regret. Well, it was about two weeks later. My husband Rick called me late at night and we were just getting ready to go bed, me and Carolyn and, and I said, he says, I gotta come over. I said, Rick, can't you just wait till the morning? He said, No, I have to come over now. I have something for you And he'd been going through Pam's stuff and he'd come across a letter addressed to me and my wife. And he said, Give us it. And about half an hour later he came to my house with the letter and I read it. Tears Tears flowed down my cheeks. For that letter contained the very same message the Lord had spoken to my heart. When she said in her letter, she, she was thanking Carol and myself for teaching her those things that sustained her through her illness. And she said, whatever happened, she says, you have, what you have given me will always be with me. I say that to say this, brothers, this gospel is life. This word of God that we've been entrusted with is truth. And we have been given the most precious, most valuable, most wonderful, life-changing message that any man could deliver. What you do is more important than any person and any office, any work, any endeavor that anybody does in this land. More important. You see, you help people live. You help people die. It's been delivered to us that it might be delivered to others. Let those who know tell those who don't. And what a privilege that is for you, for me to do that. And I encourage you, brothers, that's our calling. May God help us in whatever time we have left to be faithful servants, faithful to God, faithful to his word, and faithful to those people that he has put in our lives that we might help them live. We might help them when that time comes. They go to be with him that they might be at peace. May God bless you all. Father, thank you again for your word for your truth for everything that we've heard at this wonderful conference thank you for every brother here that serves you I especially pray for our dear pastors who have got the responsibility of holding forth faithfully your word I do pray for every congregation represented here that you would bless each one And that, Lord, each one may grow in grace and understanding of you. And pray, Lord, that as we go back to our different responsibilities, that we may go refreshed, encouraged, challenged, built up in the faith. May we go in the confidence that you give us through the power of your spirit in our lives and through your word residing in us. Bless your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.